Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bernstein Insights. I'm Matt Palazzolo, Senior Portfolio Manager. This is the second installment of our mini-series on cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And Once again, I'm happy to be joined by my colleague, Paul Robertson, also a Senior Portfolio Manager. So, Paul, welcome. Thanks for having me, Matt. So, Paul, in our last podcast, you helped to demystify this relationship between digital currencies like Bitcoin and their underlying blockchain technology. And you also debunked Bitcoin's use as a payment system. Today, we want to tackle the question of whether or not cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are about to displace the existing currencies that we all know. Why are some of them worth so much? Matt, that's a great question. It gets to the heart of the recent run-up and then the subsequent pullback we've seen in the price of some of these digital currencies. At the end of the day, if you don't have a compelling use case for your cryptocurrencies, investors are struggling with this question, how should you value a cryptocurrency? So let me share a bit of our thinking around this. The economist in me has to begin by acknowledging that value is all about supply and demand. Let me start with the supply side of the equation. The supply of some cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, is ultimately fixed. For example, there are about 16.7 million Bitcoins in existence today, and only 21 million can be created in total. So that makes Bitcoins rare. But be careful here. It does not ensure that Bitcoins are valuable. Not all rare things are valuable. In fact, Most rare things are not. Think of baseball cards, stamps, and other collectibles stored in attics across the country. That's a great example. I've checked, and my entire baseball card collection is worthless. So that's a a good point. Very tangible, very easy to understand. But, Paul, I've heard that some investors treat the marginal cost required to mine the next Bitcoin as a measure of its fair value. What do you think about that? Matt, I think at its heart this is That is clearly some circular logic in play. Uh, But to explain it, let me just start out by explaining the concept of mining a Bitcoin. The way payments are processed in, in a cryptocurrency system is through the actions of what are called miners. What the miners do is compete to solve a cryptographic problem. If they solve the cryptographic problem, they are able to add another bundle of transactions, another block, to the blockchain. In return, they are rewarded with coins and perhaps increasingly over time with some transaction fees. But it's today the primary compensation is coins. So let's talk about the number of miners competing to solve this cryptographic problem and the amount of electricity they might be consuming. If the price of a Bitcoin is just $1, There's going to be very few miners who are active trying to solve this cryptographic problem. We're still going to see blocks of transactions added to the chain every 10 minutes, but very little electricity is going to be consumed in the process because there's not going to be a lot of miners active. But if the price is $19,000 per Bitcoin, well, now the prize is much, much richer. Now it's worth their time. It's Now it's worth their time and it's worth their electricity. There's going to be a lot more miners and a lot more electricity is going to be consumed. The same number of transactions will be processed. The same number of bitcoins will be awarded to successful miners, but a lot of electricity is going to be consumed. 
So at its heart, what you recognize is the amount of electricity consumed, the costs required to mine bitcoins are themselves a function of the price of bitcoin. So there's no solution here to the fundamental value of a bitcoin that energy consumed to mine a bitcoin is clearly a function of the price of a bitcoin itself. So keep going on on this whole supply-demand relationship. What of the demand? So Matt, the demand side is much more difficult. Let's take a step back and ask, generally speaking, why do people demand things? There are three basic reasons. The first is there's a really compelling use for the object. For, For instance, a commodity like steel is valuable simply because it can be used for so many different things. A second reason that things are demanded is because they're assets that generate a stream of cash flow over time, things like stocks or bonds, but also businesses or real estate. The challenge comes when you're dealing with something that has no compelling use and doesn't generate a stream of cash. Here, demand usually rests on some sort of compelling aesthetic or cultural appeal. Okay, so where do digital currencies fit into this framework you've just laid out? Well, as we discussed in the previous podcast, cryptocurrencies have not much of a compelling use case. And on top of that, they certainly don't generate a stream of cash flows. You don't get a stream of cash simply by owning a cryptocurrency. So that, I guess, leaves this aesthetic or cultural appeal that the cryptocurrencies might have. Yes, that's how I would describe it. Uh, I think the way others might describe it is that much of the demand for digital currencies is driven by the idea that like art or gold, they are potential stores of value. But I need to emphasize here, art and gold are valuable because, again, they possess some compelling aesthetic or cultural appeal. Keep going on that point. So what do you mean by that? Give me an example. Well, let me share with you this example from late last year. The painting Salvatore Mundi, or Saviour of the World, sold late last year for $450 million. Now, at first glance, it looks like a rather ordinary painting of Christ in Renaissance clothes. So the question is, how could such a rather ordinary-looking painting command such an astronomical sum of money? Here is why. The painting was previously presumed to be a later copy of a lost original painting. There are around 20 other versions of the work that are known today. This painting, however, was examined by some entrepreneurs who bought it and had it restored. And after having the painting restored, the painting is now generally accepted to actually be an original. An original by Leonardo da Vinci, although I must admit this is still disputed by several specialists. But just imagine that. If it's true, if this is a Leonardo da Vinci, this is one of only 15 paintings generally accepted to be by Leonardo. And in addition, the other 14 are all locked up in art museums or churches. This is the only Leonardo da Vinci a private individual can own. I understand that. That's the cultural appeal. How about the aesthetic value? Maybe, maybe gold is a better example of this aspect. I think gold is a fabulous example of perhaps the arbitrary nature of value and, again, how important aesthetics can be 
to value. But why? If you really step back and think about it, there are many metals that are rarer than gold, more useful than gold, and also don't tarnish. Remember, that's the problem with silver. Silver tarnishes. Let me just rattle off some of these metals that are rarer and more useful than gold and which don't tarnish. Uh, They include things like platinum, but also some lesser-known metals like ruthenium or iridium. Now, why are these metals not considered alternative currencies or stores of value? And I suggest it's because their silvery or blue-gray hues are simply not as beautiful as gold. Gold has been elevated above all other metals because of its lustrous, eye-catching color. And Matt, I have to say, I was in the Metropolitan Museum, the, the Met Art Museum last week, and it happened to me. I would walk past display cases and my eye would be magically drawn to the gold objects within them. Okay, but, but as far as I know, there are no bitcoins on display at the museum. So how do, how do currency, cryptocurrencies fit into this whole framework? Well, this is the problem. You're exactly right. Cryptocurrencies have no tangible presence. You can't actually hold a bitcoin in your palm the way you can a gold coin. You can't admire its density, its color, its weight. So this clearly eliminates the possibility of any aesthetic value. There is no aesthetic value to a cryptocurrency. And despite all the excitement, it's far too early to say that any particular cryptocurrency is going to have any lasting cultural appeal. Anything on par, for example, with the interest we still have in Leonardo da Vinci to this day. So where does all of this leave cryptocurrencies as investments? Well, that is the question, isn't it? Given that they have no use outside of a cryptocurrency system, they have no tangible presence and therefore no aesthetic value, and I'm doubting that they have any lasting cultural appeal, we really believe that the future values for cryptocurrencies at this point in time remain incredibly uncertain. And so for that reason, we don't recommend our clients purchase any cryptocurrencies for investment purposes. But just as a quick aside, can I just say that I remain as interested in cryptocurrencies as many other people. I think that there's an interesting speculative opportunity here if you're willing to acknowledge it as that. Perhaps buying a Bitcoin is like buying a lottery ticket. It may not amount to anything. It may amount to a lot. But just be careful and scale any speculative purchase you make to an appropriate level in your overall asset allocation. As always, good stuff. Paul, thanks a lot for sharing all of these insights. Next time, I just want to let our listeners know we'll be exploring the game-changing technology underpinning the digital currencies, which, of course, as we've talked about somewhat to this point, is blockchain. Paul, thank you again. For everybody out there listening, thanks for listening to Bernstein Insights, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Bernstein, making money meaningful for individuals, families, and foundations for over 50 years. Visit us at Bernstein.com.